Yeah, it's great to be back. We've been on a bit of a holiday, so it's lovely to be back, and uh, yeah, these guys just spun me in quite well. So just to let you know, we were uh, wonderfully, I am Colin. I never do this, you know, I've never done it. Thank you, Donny. This is the first time. So my name's Colin, I'm part of, and I'm married to Joyce, and we're part of the eldership team, and uh, we're so glad to be with our family again today. Yeah! You're not happy to be here. I, I, I thought when we were singing that song, this is what heaven feels like. Come on, let's make it the place. I mean, we're going to get to heaven. There's going to be rejoicing forevermore. We must start it down here. Because you're not, there's no warm-up session there. I don't think so. We've got to get warm-up here for heaven. So just to let you know, we, and some folk ask us just to uh, give some uh, feedback. Hello to the guys at the top there. I thought of Mr. and Mrs. Jones Sr. Hello. There we go. Uh, and um, just to tell you, we were invited to go and join the end here, brothers and sisters. On Ascension Day. We joined those guys. Um, I don't know if you've got any pics. No. All right. Anyway, I sent some pics to Z, but um, she's not here today. Um, we had a lovely uh, poiki course. It was a uh, lekker, uh, what was it again, love? The, the poiki? Uh, oxtail. Eh, but Dominianus, I can no lekker cook. Yes, it was small lekker. It was delicious. And then he invited us to come and join them for the Pentecost Sunday, Pinkster Sondag. Monday, Dominic Gebrek. He preached. And um, I, I had all the pics here to show you uh, that I sent through, but hopefully next time we could do that. But I love the little uh, leaflet they handed out the door. It says, Buy a welcome on besoekers and nieuwe intrekkers. Nie voortrekkers, nie intrekkers. Waar's Johannes? Laat ek jou hoor hier saf. Waar's hy? Ja, in Albert. Ja, dit is nou a lekker ding. But I thought we went on the, the um, Ascension Day, so we were the besoekers. And on Pentecost Sunday, then we were the intrekkers. And that is so prophetic, eh? God is already paving the way. But what a wonderful community, lovely community. They welcomed us. We had a lovely uh, meal with them on that particular uh, Thursday, Ascension Day. And then we joined them again. There was lovely eats. I mean, they put a lovely spread out at that place. Um, we felt so tempted, eh, Joyce? No, um, uh, you know, by the eats, you know. It was good. I thought to go and join those guys. And by the selig. It was so friendly. It was so warm. Um, there was nothing put on. It was just, it just organically flowed. And what a lovely community. And we just want to embrace them, even in our journey with them. At this moment, I, I think I'm just very tender towards class right now. Class is mummy's, um, and uh, yeah, I know you giggled there. Um, is, uh, yeah, he's, she's on the last. And uh, I always recall the day when I had to be there with my mum two days before she passed class. So I, my heart goes out to you today. And as I shared with him, whatever is in his heart, he's visited her a couple of times, uh, just to share that with his brother that's over there, that he can communicate what's on your heart even to mom right now. And we pray that even, Lord, that you'd be surrounding classes, mom, right now with your presence. Thank you that your ministering servants are there and that he know that she can be encouraged by the presence of her living God today. And, Lord, strengthen the heart of even a son today class. He's a big boy, but yes, that is his mom, and he's her, um, yeah, her favorite, and uh, we pray that today you would just communicate with him just your love in a special way, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Good night. 
So that's it. So this morning we're back in uh, Corinthians, and so welcome to the Igniters and the Frequency guys. I'm um, hopefully uh, have some stuff I can include you in my message today. And we're looking at chapter six. Uh, Paul, and my main uh, point here is Paul is recommending and wants us to receive the grace of God. He wants us to know that we are fueled for more, filled with a ministry of reconciliation and encouragement. Second Corinthians shows God's grace in channeling His power through weakness rather than strength. This is such an encouraging book. I find this such a pivotal cha- uh, chapter, chapter 5 that leads into chapter 6. And the main point of this is Paul's ministry is credible and warrants the church appropriating the gospel in their lives so they can join in his apostolic work in the world and in an ongoing manner. So we, what we preach today is built on the legacy of the apostles. So Paul, first of all, wants us to appropriate the grace of God in our sanctification, and he wants us to be, secondly, reconciled with him and partner with him in God's apostolic mission in an an ongoing way. The context of this uh, book is, and this chapter is, we remember Paul is contending for his continued apostolic relationship with the church. In chapter 5, this theme of being reconciled to God and being entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation leads us into chapter 6, 1 to 3, where Paul wants us to appropriate the grace of God in our sanctification, which is our first verse. But before we can appropriate the grace of sanctification, you've got to be regenerated and reconciled to God. Chapter 5, verse 21. Paul emphasizes the amazing fact that we have been reconciled to God through the death of Christ. Have you been reconciled to God? Give me an amen. We love you, Jesus. We love you. It's amazing, the story in Acts chapter 9. We find Paul. He gets permission from the leaders to go and arrest some men and women who are in the synagogue in Damascus. And while he's on the way, he is confronted by the grace of God. And it says in chapter 9, and a bright light fell on him. He had to go blind in order to see. And this happened in A.D. 33 to 34. On the 29th of September, 1969, was an amazing and pivotal moment in someone's life. There was the earthquake, you recall, to those who are much older, that happened in 1969. And it happened about three minutes after 8 p.m. And the seismic effects of that earthquake was felt right into Cape Town, into the southern suburbs, into the area of retreat, in a home that had the address of 83 Solo Street. There was a young mum. She was doing some ironing. And when she felt that seismic activity come right under her feet in the home she was standing in, ironing while her baby's in the cot, she fell to her knees. She thought Jesus was coming. And she cried out, Lord, I'm not ready if you're coming. But I trust there's still an opportunity for me to come and be accepted by you. 
She was reconciled to God on that day. A year later, she led her boy to Jesus. And that boy is standing right in front of you today. So there's something amazing. I remember another man. He came into a church. He followed, well, he was doing his own thing for a number of years. And he comes into this venue. And he was addicted to so many things. He walked in there and he just wept. He threw things out of his pocket. I mean, it was drugs, it was alcohol. I, I remember, I seen this. And guess what? He walked into that venue and he says, I can't do this anymore and I can't keep running. And he came in and he appropriated the grace of God in being regenerated to Christ. His friend said, we give you one week. Well, he passed one week. They gave him a month. They gave him six months. They gave him a year. 20 years later, 30 years later, he's still serving the God who reconciled him to himself. How many people second-guessed us when we came to Jesus? This is a moment for you to just stand back and think, hang on. You recall the day when you came to Jesus? How many of you can recall the day and the time? Come on, raise your hand. Be bold. I can't. I don't know the day. I don't know the time. All I know, it was a year later after my mom gave her life to Jesus. She led me to the Lord at the age of six. So this regeneration is the entrance of God's nature and life, very life, into our real existence and identity. We get a new identity. So 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Regeneration is to be born from above. Dallas Willard loved to use that term. But it's what you find in John 3, verse 3, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, how can I be born again? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It is what kicks starts our sanctification. This is the receiving of the new nature. Five, chapter 5, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Sanctification is not defined by external obedience, but by the kind of person we are becoming. It is being set apart in living in a right relationship to Jesus Christ that brings and sustains right thoughts, right feelings, right choices, and habits, enabling one to do what is right and pleasing to God. So to the igniters, and maybe frequency guys, and to all of you, we all have a toothbrush. I didn't bring my well, one I'm using, but I got this for Father's Day. My daughter was so kind to give me. Uh, <laughs> she gave me two. If you know her profession, she's a dentist, and she's just looking after my, my pearly whites. They're not so white, I don't think so. So there's something amazing about a toothbrush, okay? The toothbrush is used for what purpose? Talk to me. Your teeth. Is it a general toothbrush for everyone's teeth in your house? It is set apart for whom? For yourself. I don't brush my teeth and then pull my dash on and brush his teeth and then hopefully it goes down the line and then just rinse it off and we start all over again. No, it is being set apart. This is sanctification. We are set apart for the Father's use. So we want to appropriate that grace to be set apart for 
everything that He desires of us in our lives. So every time you brush your teeth from now on, you say, I am set apart for the Father's use. Right? Yeah, come on. Uh, you can even start a song, write a tune on that. Right, Don? Don is favorite with that. So it is being set apart for the use of the person. This is sanctification. Grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. For the Christ follower, appropriating the grace of God in sanctification is like a 747 jet that is, needs fuel for takeoff. We need the grace of God in our lives daily. We need it to power us on. Paul's mindset for ministry is teaming with God. Working together with God. He writes in chapter 6 verse 1, he says we are co-fellow workers, co-workers, co-companions. I love Paul's tone of voice here and, and also his humility. He says we are fellow workers. He doesn't come across and says I'm the apostle and you guys are the the ordinary guys. No, he says, as fellow workers, he's including us in this. I love that humbleness of Apostle Paul. Isn't that how we need to always operate? We together, as elders, even in this community, servant-hearted leaders, we stand with our deacons, with our life group leaders. If you are here, just stand for a minute. Life group leaders, deacons, just stand. Just stand. Elders, just stand. Come on, just stand. God has placed us in this community. We are his fellow workers. We are fellow workers, one with God. I want us to appropriate that up front because he's called us to serve in this community. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And the original doesn't speak of our ministry. It just speaks of the ministry in the original language. It's the ministry of God that we are involved in. So Paul's ministry is by God who gave it to him. And it's God who is making his appeal through Paul. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive this uh, uh, grace of God in vain, says Paul in uh, if, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1. In the message translation, I love this uh, translation, it says, Companions, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given us. It's a marvelous life. He's come to give us life and life in abundance. Ek moet so aan die Afrikaans indip, nee. As jylle medewerkers, sê die skrif, smeek ons jylle om toe te sien dat jylle die genade van God nie te vergeefs ontvang het, nee. Lekker sterk, nee. They gave me a nice Afrikaans Bible, by the way. I just want to show you. Leather bound from the Enkia church as a gift to me. Nou lees ek op ek Afrikaans ook, nee. He's urging them to keep building themselves up in the most holy faith. So you have received God's grace, now appropriate it in your sanctified lives. Don't misappropriate it. Many of us are all too familiar with that term, especially in the political arena of our country. We want to work out this grace of God in our lives, this treasure in this jar of clay. Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13 says, continue to do work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Does he take a break? Never. Is he working? Yes. 24-7? Yes. He's always working us. He's fueling us to do more for him. 
as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's in chapter uh, 6, verse 1 and 2. So Paul is drawing on the big guns here. He's quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8. He's bringing out the big guns to make his point. Isaiah was raised by God to call God's people from Babylon, and it's the Lord's deliverance that he's working through Isaiah. The whole of Isaiah is the Old Testament gospel. It speaks about the servant of the Lord coming. There's Jesus as the servant. Then it speaks of Isaiah as the servant, and Paul is drawing from this. He sees himself also as chosen by God, like Isaiah, and he's a voice now calling God's people into the new day of salvation. He says, I'm committed to this gospel that God has entrusted to me, and I'm appealing to all of you to come back to God. We don't call people back to fellowship first. We call people back to God first. It's that vertical thing first, and then we call them into relationship. Automatically, that will happen. Once we come back to God, we want to be part of God's family. We live under the kindness and goodness of God. Now let us appropriate God's incredible grace in our sanctified lives. It's as if Paul was saying, live in your new nature and work out the grace of God in your lives so you can live with God in his kingdom now. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 2 verse 3, uh, in writing to believers, technically writes to believers, he says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Such a great salvation. When we consider something great, we will naturally pay attention to it and not neglect it. Hey, when you go and watch the whales, maybe in Armanus, those are great creatures. You're looking for it to come and just out of the water down. I remember going past Cork Bay one day and I saw this great white coming out of the water and like once in a lifetime. I mean, you know, that is great. It's a great moment. We anticipate, we wait for it. This salvation has come to us so rich and so free. It is for our benefit that we want to live in all that God has for us. When we consider this something that is so great, we want to pay attention to it. If we do not consider something great, we leave it to convenience rather than to commitment. And Paul is committed to this because this great salvation, God rescued him. Take note, he was a Jewish jihadist. He was on his way to do some dirty work, and God rescued him. Many of us were on our own journey, and God rescued us. Now he's put his grace in us, in this jar of clay. Oh, this clay jar. And he says, now you become new. You're my new creation. Yes, this salvation is great because we are saved by a great Savior. This salvation is great because we are saved at a great cost. This salvation is great because we are saved from a great penalty. A reason may, that we may neglect the salvation because we may merely see it as just receiving it and not as being rescued from something. We were rescued. Once we were blind, but now we can see. Once we were lame, now we walk. We were dead, literally says the scripture, in our trespasses and sin, and Christ has brought us to life. Scripture tells us that we can hinder the work of grace in a few ways, and I just want to highlight that. So how can we hinder this work of grace, of sanctification? By walking in the flesh, because we believe we're okay without the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 and 16, so I say uh, to you, says Paul, to the Galatians, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify 
the desires of the flesh. Secondly, by unbelief. Because we believe in ourselves, in our fears, and in our intuitions, rather than in God. It was an indictment on the nation of Israel because of their unbelief, their hardness of heart. Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 13, the writer writes these words, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is always crouching at our door, always ready to come in. The power of sin is always in its secrecy. If you're struggling with something and you feel, hey, I'm torn between, we are here. Come and talk to us. Or find a trusted friend you can talk to and share. There's something that God wants to do in reconciling us and appropriating His grace within us in our, self, uh, in our sanctification. Thirdly, negative speech, or I would call it unwholesome talk, because we think we're better than those to whom we may direct our words or our criticism to, but we're not. Paul writes to the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 30, do not let any unwholesome talk, corrupt speech come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That is, it may benefit those who listen. And then finally there, bitterness, because we think we are above experiencing hardships difficulties, and suffering. And Paul is showing it all here. Later on, from verse 4, he goes on and says, all the hardships I had to go through. He says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up, cause trouble and defile many. I always think of that prophetic word Simon gave many years ago on the, the rocks that in the riverbed that is preventing the fresh flow of water. And this, these hindrances of unbelief, of not walking in the spirit, of a corrupt or uh, unwholesome talk, uh, these things will as we prevent the flow of grace, fresh grace to flow through. We need God to remove these boulders so that, that we can get a fresh flow to come through into our lives today. All four of these hindrances to grace boil down to a common denominator. It's not a math scarce. Okay, to the igniters. There's a common denominator, and it is pride. Pride. Pride comes before the fall. James 4 verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. Humble us. Lord, humble us under your mighty hand, your loving hand today, so that we never grow. There's no pride in us as we allow your grace to flow through us afresh. Secondly, reconciling with Paul and parting with him in God's apostolic mission. This in an ongoing way. When I say ongoing way, we too as a, a family, and you'll hear it a little bit later on, we also are doing what God has called us to do. Not only to do maintenance, not to only be uh, missioning in a local city, but also to, to go further to where God is directing us. And it always begins by being reconciled to God. So reconciling with Paul first, Paul says, be reconciled to me. He's speaking to the Corinthians. He says, because you are caught between these uh, super apostles. They're coming in, and you're not sure where to land. He says, now watch me. Watch my very life. Follow me. Partner with me in this ministry of the gospel that God has entrusted to me. God has set me apart for this ministry. And he said, come now, join me in this. And it always begins with a vertical first, being reconciled to God first and then reconciled to our brothers and sisters. There's something of generosity that flows in all areas in true repentance, in all areas. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, agents of change, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sinned for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Having called the church to do some work in their sanctification, he now turns to why they should reconcile with him as the apostle and even join him in their partnership as they recommend him to others. And Paul writes, he says, I don't put a stumbling block in your way. I'm not going to hinder you. He has integrity in all that he's doing. So he's placing himself with this whole thing of integrity before them. He's declaring something amazing. And from verse uh, 3, if you read that, to verse 13, and I'm just going to summarize that. In this section, he makes a series of declarations, which he backs up with justifications. He draws the attention both to himself, the integrity of his ministry, and the purity of his motives. And God's work, power at work in his ministry, which is sustaining and delivering him through the trials. I love verse, chapter 6, verse 6. It says, In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. He's declaring that as a true ambassador, as a true minister of the gospel, of reconciliation, he's pure in speech, pure in conduct, pure in motives, and he loves people. He knew how to wear God well. He knew how to wear God well. You remember the story I told you a while ago when I got to lead the football team, the Common Ground football team. We had one motto, and we had it printed on the collar of our tops. Like a Bayern München top, a Sia San Mia, we had wear God well. It was to wear God well on the pitch and off the pitch. That was to be installed. I wanted to go on the pitch with a smile, get kicked and crocked and whatever, and come off with a smile. That was the aim. So Paul is saying, even though I suffer for Christ, I'm coming in to wear God well with integrity, with love, with purity. In everything I do, he's saying this. And this is how we live the life. And it was not only when we are playing our opposition that we wear God well, but also in the face of those who are standing around. There were always spectators. There's always people watching us and saying, ah, I can see that he's wearing God well. He's living out the truth of the gospel. So he knew how to do this. Paul says that his suffering proves that his ministry is legitimate. Suffering is something very every Christian should expect. Jesus suffered, and the call to follow Jesus is to call to suffer. I remember one igniter, and I'm not going to mention the name, came to me, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to suffer. <laughs> Following Jesus, you will have to suffer. If the master went to the cross, and Jesus uses this illustration, if they've done this to the green, what will they do to the dry? I always think about green as like, when you burn something that's green, it will go. Yeah. I always think of that Jim Carrey, smoky, hey? <laughs> Jesus was smoky. It also reminds me of a little story of little Oregon. And it says Oregon's uh, dad was taken away to be um, uh, martyred. And you remember there was a story under Nero that uh, the Christians, they, were, they set the Rome alight. 
and they were coming to get him. And it says that Oregon's mom, Tacitus, who is the Roman historian, writes about this. He says, when they came to get Oregon and his dad, Oregon's mom hid his trousers so that he actually couldn't go with his dad because he was ready to go and be martyred with his dad. And so we're always ready to say we're ready to die for him. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 10, my determined purpose, it's not up there, is to know him and the power of his resurrection, to be identified with him in his suffering. Not only in the good, but also in the suffering because there's joy even in the suffering. If you practice Acts 1 verse 8, you can expect Acts 8 verse 1. Go and read that. Write it down. With a great commission comes great persecution. If you practice Acts 1 verse 8, you can expect Acts 8 verse 1. So what is our attitude when we serve God? Is it this type of attitude? Endurance through suffering? Endurance in the Greek means, or in the, in the language, hupomone. In Hebrew it says to stand firm, to bear under, to patiently wait in hope. In Greek it says getting through the trial without compromising and wavering. This is the biblical version of no pain, no gain. I have a picture up there, and some of you are runners. My friend Al was just telling me he went for a run this morning. It's about, not only about the big start, but it's about the faithful finish. I read you the story before, as I conclude. John Chrysostom, who died in 407, writes, people outside the church may think we are sorrowful, but in fact, we are always rejoicing. We may look poor, but in fact, we are enormously rich, both spiritually and physically. As usual, the Christian life is the exact opposite of what it appears to be on the surface. Here's what I want to tell you today. Expect to suffer for Jesus, but expect joy, even life, through that suffering. After all, that's what happened with Jesus. He suffered, and he brought about eternal life, joy, through his suffering. Call up the band. Paul is not just about inspiring the mind to, through his writings, but he wants us to impact. And he, as he leans into us as men of the gospel, he wants us to preach, to impact the hearts of people. I pray today that as you heard these words, as we started off, that you are to be reconciled to God first. If you're not a Christ follower, I'm calling you today because God has implored us with this gospel. I'm committed to this, to invite you back to God. I'm calling you back today to come back to Him. And if you're a Christ follower, Paul is saying, forsake your worldly way of thinking and appropriate the grace of God in your lives so you can join in this great apostolic work of God's co-workers as God works through us to reconcile the world to Himself. He really wants us to know that we are fueled for more. The acronym more is ministers or the ministry of reconciliation and encouragement. We go on into chapter seven. We see how Paul is encouraging the church. And so now we're gonna hand over to um, Cass to lead us in song.